Well, good morning, church. Today we move into the second of our Advent series, and today we're going to talk about love. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas time. Anybody else love Christmas time? What do you love about it? Everything. I love everything about Christmas except glitter. I don't love glitter. Anybody else with me there? Amen. It is the dust of the devil, and it is not at all supposed to be a part of our lives. Sooner or later, my children are going to glitter bomb me with a present that explodes, and when they do, uh, I will be cutting them out of the inheritance probably and giving everything to Hudson, my dog. I don't like glitter. I'm not a big fan of eggnog. That's just one of those. I know I'll probably get some email over that. Or fruitcake, not a big fan. I like events, though. I like going and all the food, and I like Christmas parades. Anybody like Christmas parades? All right, anybody go to the Columbia Christmas Parade last night? Hardy Street Baptist Church was well represented. My understanding is that if there is a break in the line and you say, hey, we can get out early now, and you pull out into the parade, people will wave at you, right, John Kirkpatrick? My understanding is that John and Kelly pulled out into the parade and just waved along the parade route as they went. So thank you guys for representing Hattiesburg and Hardy Street Baptist Church at the Christmas parade. We'll just give them a hand real quick. I've had, so I love, I love Christmas so much that I wanted to get dressed up today to preach, and people have asked about me being dressed up. I'm wearing my Advent tie today. See, it's got A's all over it for Advent today, and we'll just leave that there. Don't you love Christmas? I want to invite you, if you will, to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you were with us last week, as you were turning there, I'll kind of give you some some background. If you were with us, we began a journey, and this journey is simply called Advent, and the idea is that we would unwrap some gifts. And last week, we unwrapped the gift of hope. We talked about how God with us brings hope, that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, brings hope into our lives. And today, we're going to unwrap this present of love. We're going to look and see that God with us brings love. The word Advent itself just means coming or arrival. It's a season of expectation. It's a season of anticipation. It is a season of us moving forward in our thinking and looking back at uh, the coming of Jesus the very first time. We kind of join in all the centuries of all of the believers of the Old Testament and the nation of Israel longing for an arrival, longing for a Messiah. We also look forward with great hope and love knowing that Jesus Christ promised that he would come again. And because of that promise, we have hope. He promised that because of love. So in essence, each and uh, each Sunday we'll be lighting a candle as uh, the free goes did for us this morning and today we light this candle of love and the idea of lighting the candles on a wreath is pretty simple the idea is that it really represents Jesus the light of the world pushing back the darkness of the world hope was born that Christmas day and love was demonstrated on full full display for us through the birth of Jesus Christ and so here's my prayer for you this season As we think about Advent, I want two things to happen. I want you to rediscover the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to rediscover the nativity, rediscover the the birth of Jesus. But more than that, I want you to really contemplate how long and how high and how deep and how wide is our Savior's love 
for us. I hope that today you would be overwhelmed with the sense of the love of God. And it is so overused at some levels. We talk about love, but we really truly don't begin to scratch the surface of what it means that God loves us. Emmanuel may be the very best uh, and most succinct description of the fact that God loves us, that God would be with us, that we, as sinful as we are, he would make a way that we could be reconnected. So today together, let's read our text. And as we do, I pray that you would begin to see the love of God overwhelmingly wrapped up in these pages. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. I hope, we're going to continue to read, but I hope that as we read, you're, you're beginning to see some of the prophecies of the Old Testament in these words. Over and over again, they're being fulfilled. Let's continue. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and now is in her sixth month. For the, the word of the, oh, excuse me, the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. In this passage of scripture, we see God fulfilling his promises lovingly. And I want to unpack that for you today. If you read this in a casual way, you might miss some things. But if we tie this, uh, these 12 verses back to all of the history of Israel, you'll see a power-packed punch over and over and over. Things that had long been awaited, expected, and hoped for are now being presented by this angel to this young maiden. And you'll begin to see packed full in these promises are a number of things. I, I didn't have time uh, to, to go through all of them this, this week and put them on the screen or give them to you, but I, I'll just kind of run through a few. Think about this. What is prophesied here? The Messiah would be born of a woman. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be of the lineage of David. 
The Messiah would be heir to the throne of David. The Messiah's scepter would come through the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. A forerunner would be born. And these are from Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 40, and Malachi 3, just in case you were taking notes and interested. I know I blew through those, but over and over and over again, God had lovingly promised a Messiah. That brought the gift of hope. For hundreds of years, even as wayward as the people were, they could look forward with anticipation saying, God promised and because God promised, we can count on it. We can depend on it. We can trust in it. And here, as the angel appears, the time is now just right. Everything is perfectly set. The stage of the world is ready for Jesus to appear and the angel comes to Mary and says, all of these things that you have studied, all of these things that you have read, all of these things that you have heard are now coming true in your hearing. It is time. And John the Baptist would be born of Elizabeth. We knew that there would be one who would be a voice crying in the wilderness saying, made straight the way of the Lord. This forerunner was just simply one of those promises. And verse 37 may be for us a key to all of this. I want you to underline it in your Bible. If you're the kind of person that marks up your Bible, do that. It says very simply, nothing is impossible with God. Everybody say that together with me. For nothing is impossible with God. The New Living Translation sums it up in a very distinct way, and it says this, and read this with me. For the Word of God will never fail. For the word of God will never fail. Here's the idea. The word of God is in, uh, intrinsically in line with his character. And because God will never fail, his word will never fail. God had promised all of these things to Isaiah, Zechariah, through Malachi. And now the word of God will not fail. Why? Because it is impossible for us to see that, that anybody else could do it. But with God, all things are Possible. Nothing is impossible with God. Last year on this week at our Christmas Advent Focus, I gave you four words that summarize Christmas, and I'll give them to you again. Jot them down because you may have forgotten. You could literally summarize Christmas this way. Promises made, say it with me, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. The idea is that God promised and now God's delivered. God came through and that is an unbelievable sign of his love. He was attentive enough, not just to you and to me in love, but to his own character and his own nature to say, because of who I am, because I love you, I will keep my word. My word cannot and will not fail. God is faithful. Can I get a witness today to that? Has God been faithful to you? The Bible says that God is truth. God cannot lie. And because God is faithful and God is truth and God cannot lie, his promises bring to us hope and joy and peace, and they're all motivated by love. Does that make sense? His his promise of the Messiah was just as loving as the advent of the Messiah. Because we understand that he was instilling and injecting hope into his people. Now, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the love of God. I would venture a guess that all of us are overly familiar with this sense that God loves us. 
We've read twice today, John 3, 16. We've or at least heard it. You're all familiar with that. Perhaps everyone in here, almost everyone in here, has memorized a portion of it, if not all of it. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. And not only did he send his son, but he gave his son for us. He loved us that much. And not only did he give his son and send his son, but he also predicted his son. And in predicting the advent of Jesus, he infused hope so that the people would know our God loves us. He's not going to leave us where we are. He's not going to leave us in a lurch. He won't leave us in a desperate situation hanging and hoping. He will give to us a confident expectation that he's going to come through. That is the love of our God. But this matter of love is something I think we need to spend just a few minutes today talking about and thinking about. I think we miss the point sometimes. I heard of a father who was doing devotion with his family one Saturday morning and he sat the children down and he began to do their devotion about the love of Jesus Christ. And his wife was making pancakes. She's getting breakfast ready and listening in from nearby and she makes the first batch of pancakes and you know how this works. You never can quite make enough to keep up with the demand and she made the first batch of pancakes and she came and she offered them to one of the children. It was the young of the two and one son got pancakes out of the first batch and the other sat with an empty plate and he looked at his brother with disdain and disgust and he said very pointedly did you not hear what dad just said he said that Jesus told us that we should consider others better than ourselves and so the older brother with the pancake said okay you be Jesus sometimes we miss it We use the word love to describe fuzzy, warm feelings that we have about something that we're fond of. We find ourselves considering love to be equated with butterflies in the belly toward a certain person or place or thing. It it usually means that we care about something that we have fond feelings toward, but we speak of it so casually. And again, we, we often are tying it to an emotional connection to a noun, a person, a place, or a thing. I love that place. I love to go there in the summer. I love to go there in the winter. We attach it to all kinds of things. I love ice cream or football or my wife or my job or our pets or that TV show. I, I love uh, puppies or babies or Christmas time or a good book. We'd say, I love all kinds of things. But do we really ever think of what that word is that we're attaching to all of this stuff. Maybe today, if we take a deeper dive into the Word of God, that we'll consider how best to apply this notion of love. So I want to give to you three application points. And I want to invite you very quickly to turn with me to the book of 1 John. As we look at the book of 1 John, we will see that the application of God's love in Luke 1 really can be spread into our lives. Mary's response was, I'm your servant, may it be so. Everything that you have said is good. It reflects your love for us, and I want to be a part of sharing that with the world. Maybe, just maybe, our church would be different if we took these application points to heart. Number one, I want you to write this down. Simply put, I want you to grasp God's love. Today, if we're really going to begin to develop an applied sense of God's love in our lives, we've got to grasp it first. In 1 John chapter 4, We'll look at a few verses here, but in verse 8 it says, But if anyone does not love 
God, um, anyone that does not love does not know God, for God is love. In verse 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. Here it is again. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. In both of these verses, we run into a remarkable phrase. And I want you to say that one phrase with me. Very simple three words. Say it. God is love. Say it again. God is love. It's not a description of what he does. It is a description of who he is. You need to get this because this goes to the heart of the depth of his love for you and for me. Any discussion about love has to start with God. Love didn't start with you. It didn't start with me. It started with God. And it's not just what he does, it's who he is. It is an attribute of God. It is a perfection of God. It is what makes God who God is. It is a, let me say it this way, love is a self-definition. I mean, here he said twice, God is love. It's an unchanging reality. Write that down. Love is an unchanging reality of God. If I was going to describe myself, or if you were going to describe yourself in unchanging terms, I might begin to identify myself this way. I could say, I am a native Mississippian. I am a native, a native of Hattiesburg. And that is an unchanging reality. There's nothing that I can do about the fact that I was born here in the city of Hattiesburg and I was born in the state of Mississippi. I can say that I am an American by birth. Now, I could potentially change my citizenship, but it doesn't change the fact that by birth, I'm American. I could say as a descriptor, I am a Caucasian man. Those things are unchanging realities about who I am. I can say I am the father of Hannah and Haley and Heidi and Hudson. I mean, I could say that as an unchanging reality that, that those are my kids. Some of you haven't met Hudson yet. He's on my Christmas socks today, by the way. My, my puppy Hudson, my only boy, he and I stay in the doghouse when I complain too much about glitter. But that's another story. Love is an unchanging reality of our God. And as we begin to think about that in verse 8 and verse 16, it says that he is love. It's trying to define him. He says, you want to define me? I am love. Now, you will remember, church, from lots of preaching over the last six years and, and even predating my preaching here, so, some theological facts about our God. God is immutable. That means he's unchanging. God is eternal. That means that eternally God is love. God never became loving. God never started loving. He is what? Love. It started with God before anything else was created. He is love. He always has been love. He always will be love. Before there was anything outside of himself, God is love. Love, that's kind of an interesting thing. He always has been. So here's the question that that raises. God, before there was anything else outside of yourself, who did you love? Have you ever thought about that? And the answer is pretty simple. Who did he love? Himself. You say, well, that seems pretty egotistical. I mean, pastor, you always tell us that we're to be selfless, 
But think about this. As we consider who God is, who did he love before there was nobody to love? Before time, before space, there was only God. So who would you say he loved? Himself. And it might sound selfish, but you begin to think about this in a very pointed way. Let's review. God exists in essence one in three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Yet the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But we're talking about a being that you need to understand more clearly. We're talking about a being who has never been lonely. We're talking about a being who has never been alone. We are talking about a being who has never been in singularity. You see, the doctrine of the Trinity means one God composed of three persons, one essence, but three distinct personalities, the Godhead. And so the somebody to love was always wrapped up in himself. God from eternity past to eternity, and it's hard to even say eternity past because eternity doesn't have a past, present, or future. It just is. But throughout all eternity, God has existed in perfect, cohesive community with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. They make up this family called the Godhead, and he is operating within a context of love within himself. It's a a love fest of himself, and that's what Tony Evans said. Look at 1 John 4, 9 through 11. I don't have it on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bible with me. This is how God showed his love Among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he goes on and he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Hardy Street grasped the magnitude of this statement. God is Love. We only know what love is because of God. We only have any construct of love because of God. Over and over again in the book of John, it says the Father loved the Son. The Father loved the Son. The Father loved the Son. And in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 5, the Son can only do that which the Father has shown him. There's this incredible picture. Read through John 5 this week, and you'll see there's something going on in the Trinity. The the Father loved the Son so dearly so He would create opportunities to make much of the Son. It's called glory. Glory simply means to advertise or to publicize or to make look good. Holiness is God's nature. Glory is the radiation of His holiness. When we see God's glory, it's just all of who God is put on display. And God did that through the Son. And here's the amazing part. Jesus would take hold of that and he would give God glory by perfectly doing everything that God the Father had given him to do. That's mind-blowing. But it's this love fest that continues in tangible ways even after time and space and matter has been created. Before there was anything, God the Father God the Son, God the Spirit, perfect harmony, loving one another, giving glory to one another. And now God creates. The spoken word is creative. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And God created opportunity for Jesus to give glory 
as the Son to the Father. And Jesus perfectly accepted that responsibility and gave glory to the Father by obedience and love. So as you begin to think about that, what an incredible picture. And the Father put the Son on display not just in Bethlehem, not just at Calvary, but all the way through the Old Testament, there were signposts that pointed to the fact Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And when you and I read from Luke 1 that an angel appeared and said, the, the descendant of David will rule forever on David's throne and he will be born in Bethlehem and he will be born of a woman. He will be born of a virgin. All of a sudden, the people began to see how glorious is our God. Hardy Street grasped the love of God with me. Don't get so caught up in all of the trappings of Christmas that we miss the fact that this is not just a moment. It wasn't just a day to celebrate, but it's our God to celebrate. That in His love, He sent His Son. We need to begin to see that. Jesus glorifies the Father in perfect obedience. I don't know that we ever really spend a whole lot of time contemplating the fact Jesus loves the Father. I mean, you said, well, obviously. No, Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father by submitting his will to the Father's will. And doing that, he went to Calvary. Doing that, he died for you and me. And doing that, he left heaven and came to earth. Now, as we think about that, it goes to the second point. We want to grasp God's love, but secondly, I want you to glory in God's love. What does it mean to glory in it? It means to just begin to put it on notice, to put it on blast, to put it on display. The love of God ought to be displayed in our lives. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Over and over again in Scripture, it talks about how much God loves us. And I I ran into a verse that I've read over and over again in the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. It says this, He has brought me to His banqueting place, and His banner over me is what? Anybody know it? It's love. You've sung that song. His banner over me is love. Well, I just have to be honest with you. Having grown up in a Christian home and now having been a Christian longer than I was not a Christian, I am fluent in Christianese. I know how to speak the language, and you do too. To outsiders, to people that are not of faith, it's a strange language. If you tell somebody about being washed in the blood, it's probably going to freak them out. But we speak those words without ever really thinking about them. And we'll say something like this, his banner over me is love, and he brings me to a banqueting table. Most of us don't think about going and sitting down at a banquet with God. But if you really begin to slow down and pay attention, I think it's so problematic that Christians who have been using these terms their whole lives will spout them off without ever really thinking about them or having any in-depth understanding. Even a popular Bible verse like this one can become to us so second nature that we don't really think about it. Well, let me just tell you this. A banner was used in battle. A banner might have the insignia of the army and it would go before and it would still confidence. If you saw your flag continually flying, is it not part of our national anthem? Can you still see? Is it still waving in our lives as the banner of God goes before us and it is His love. It is His love that drove Jesus to Calvary. It is His love that willingly sacrificed His Son so that we could have life and that banner rests over you. 
Don't lose sight of that. The banner over the banquet hall. Oh, the Bible says that when one sinner repents of their sin, that all of heaven throws a cosmic party, that all of the angels in heaven rejoice. And I've said this to you before, but I think back to a time 30 years ago when I trusted Jesus Christ and the banner over the banquet table said, Scott, And I continue to think as I look at it that God moved in such a way that he would save me. And when he saved you, the banner over the banquet table was your name. And the banner over your life is love. That'd be a great place for somebody to get pretty excited. Our entire entire journey with God, his big, bold slogan over your life and his message that he whispers to you in silence when we're close or yells when we're far is this, I love you. In sending his son to die for us and to take away our sin and our guilt and our shame and to reconcile us to himself, God was saying, I love you. In the seasons of delight and the seasons of abundance, being brought into his banqueting house. He's saying, I love you. Think about this though. When you find seasons of hardship or wilderness or trials or triumph, his banner over us is, I love you. In times of great faith or in times of doubting, in times when we're plagued with confusion or we have clarity from his word, God's banner over our lives is, I love you. I love you, and his love is constant, and we can count on it. When everything else in life changes, when everything else is topsy-turvy, you can count on the love of God. That's why Luke 1 is so amazing that God, after all of these centuries, would send the Messiah as a promise. Promises made, promises kept. I wrote in my journal some time ago, The love of God is the deepest taproot that will hold us and bring us through every trial and every hardship. We have eternal life now and, (coughs) excuse me, we have eternal life and that life is now. It's not just about then. It is a life of love with our God. He always is with us. We can lean back and rest in his love in the midst of anything that's going on. Oh, Hardy Street, that you would rest in the love of God. Oh, Hardy Street, that you would be secure in the love of God. Oh, dear brother and dear sister, that you would find healing in his love and you would flourish in his love, that you would rest in his love. His love will sustain you and will bring you joy and peace and comfort. And this is what's happening in Luke chapter 1. God is now emerging on the scene. She was confused and anxious and fretful. And the angel said, oh, don't fear. God is doing something that he had long promised and you've long looked for. God wants you to trust him. And he wants you in your life uh, to allow him to lovingly lead you. So you need to grasp God's love and then you need to glory in it. You just need to relish it. This week, I I pray that you would take this kind of a message and you would begin to say, what is it that I can do to put his love on display? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's number three. You need to give away God's love. You just need to give it away. It needs to be a part of your daily life. And now, church, I'm going to... I love you enough to tell you the truth. We need to walk through some things. God has claimed my life. God has been claiming my life. How many of you would say, God has claimed me? Anybody? I belong to him. I'm so thankful that he claimed me, that he sought me out. But I, on the other hand, have not always been so quick to claim him. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand now. 
You ever find yourself shrinking back from saying anything or just absentmindedly going and not saying anything to people around you? And we are called to put him on display. And if Jesus, the eternal co-equal second person of the Godhead, would spend all of his energy loving the Father in willful obedience, why in the world would we not say, God, you've done so much for me, I'll give you everything. I read this week in a book about prayer. It said this, if we really understood prayer, that's what we would do more than anything else. Think about that. If I truly understood that communing with God is possible and available and open to me, I would do that more than I do anything else. But I really don't understand prayer. I need to give away his love. And the same is true here. When I understand all that he has done, God wants to be cherished. God wants to be uh, reciprocated with his love. He wants to be prioritized. Jesus said this in the book of Luke. Listen, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Church, that isn't a threat by Jesus. It's a simple declaration. He's saying, if you are ashamed of me here on earth, I will be ashamed of you before my heavenly Father. He is indeed not trying to incite guilt, but to promote some self-examination about where our priorities lie. You know, I see this more and more in society, that there are so many gods, little g gods, that we are chasing after, that we're following after from money to power to sex to celebrities to romantic love to praise and accolades and adoration to a sense of self-sufficiency or autonomy and everybody worships something and God alone is worthy of worship. And if we would get to that place where we love him, we would recognize something happens. You see, why did God speak to Mary? I believe it's because she loved God. Let me say this, church family, one of the reasons that many of us, I'll say it that way, one of the reasons that many of us are not experiencing the presence of God is that we're not loving anybody else. Hello? What did it say in 1 John? If we love, then we are of God. If we do not love, we are not of God. There's a very pointed reality, and there's a huge distinction between like and love. Like is an emotion. Love is a decision. Like is an attachment. Love is an action. Biblical love is not a feeling. Like is a a feeling. It's an emotion. Biblical love is a decision regardless of emotion. You may love something that you like, but you realize that you can love something that you don't like. You can love something in spite of the feeling that you don't necessarily like it. I mean, I can, I can ultimately love eating broccoli even though I might not necessarily like broccoli because I love eating healthy and I love doing right. I'm not saying that personally. I'm just using that as an illustration, all right? But you may say, I love going to the gym even though I don't like going to the gym, but you understand the benefit of going to the gym. You need to love some people that may not be likable. And there are many of those in our lives. But the reality is you make a decision. And love is a decision to compassionately and righteously and responsibly and respectably seek the well-being of somebody else. You can go to church till you're blue in the face. But if you're not loving, your prayers are ineffective. I mean, Scripture's pointed. 
Why are we not experiencing revival in the church in 2021? I believe in part it's because we are selfishly worshiping us and not loving the people around us. I don't want to be a downer on this Advent Sunday of love. I want you to see God is so good. And if we would grasp it and if we would glorify it, then we will give it away. It's a natural response. If we grasp the beauty of who He is, we begin to make that decision. And the reason more Christians aren't hearing from God and the reason that churches aren't experiencing the manifest presence of God is that we find ourselves as loveless places. We're religious places. Think about this. If God looks down upon Hardy Street today, if people in the community look up Hardy Street, what do they say about our church? I I would hope that we would not think, you know what, the measure of a good church is the preacher or the preaching or the Sunday school. The measure of the church is not the music or the choir. The measure of the church is not the programs or the buildings. People should look at Hardy Street and say, wow, look at how they love each other. It ought to be so overwhelming in the ways that we give, in the ways that we serve, in the ways that we talk to each other, in the ways that we don't talk about one another, that we would together be so loving that God would say, now you're getting it. In in the Bible, it says very pointedly this, that the whole world will know that you are my disciples by the preaching that you do or the singing that you do. No, by the love you have for one another. It's the prodigal son story. Again, you can speak the language, use all the Christian words, but if your life is not the life that's bred by Christian love, then you're going through the motions and you may not be his. In the story of the prodigal son, the the word prodigal means wayward. And we always talk about the younger being the wayward one. But when he comes home and the father celebrates his return and he kills the fatted calf and gives him a ring and a robe and shoes, the older brother is out pouting in a pasture. I've been here all along. Instead of loving his brother, he loved himself. And now he was jealous and he was angry and he was frustrated. And perhaps that's where we've been. Someone walks into our church and they don't look like us or smell like us or talk like us or act like us or let me just switch that. They don't look like you and they don't talk like you and they don't smell like you and they don't dress like you. You better love them because you and I are no better off than anybody else that would walk into this place. You recognize that without Jesus Christ, we would be in those same predicaments. Oh, how some of us have been dug from some really low pits. Where were you when Jesus found you? That ought to motivate you to grasp the love of God. It ought to motivate you to glory in the love of God. And it ought to lead you to give it away to everyone around you. Now, we don't dumb down the word. We don't just accept people with open arms and give them all manner of of emotional love without truth. No, the Bible says the best way to love people is to speak the truth in love. If you think about that, love without any truth is just emotionalism. And truth without love is just cold, dead orthodoxy. I mean, if we just beat people over the head, if we bludgeon them with the Bible and we don't care about them, even though we know we're right and we're standing on what's right, I I see that happen all the time on social media and otherwise. People are, are keyboard warriors that hide behind a screen on their phone and they'll blast everybody that doesn't believe in we do. And praise God, I'm standing on the Bible. No, you're standing on self righteousness. And we need to stand in love 
And we don't need to willy-nilly say, oh, we just embrace God loves everybody. God does love everybody so much that he would not leave them where they are in their sin. We speak the truth in love. Someone has said that the absence of love has kept God's church segregated, agitated, and frustrated. Oh, that we would come together in perfect unity. You know, the word that comes to mind when I think about the Trinity before time and space is the word oneness. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. They're not the same, but they are one. And when Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, Father, make them one as we are one. And the Bible says that God created families in this way, that a husband, a man, excuse me, would leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and what would happen? The two would become one. God's design in marriage, God's design in salvation, God's design for the church is that we would be unified as one. You know how that that happens? Love. So I pray that you would think of the love of God differently this week. I pray that you would begin to see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God is love. He doesn't just act lovingly. He is love. And because it radiates from Him, if He lives in us, we'll love too. It's a conscious decision. It's a choice. Even when you don't feel like liking something or somebody or someplace. Not every missionary has said, hey, God, I want to go there. No, they've been sent to some pretty difficult places. Why? Because they had love in their hearts. Maybe just maybe you'll go to school tomorrow differently or you'll go to work tomorrow differently or you'll go into your own home differently and you'll say, I choose to allow Jesus Christ to love through me everywhere I go. Why? Because he has so overwhelmed me with his love. As we think about it, if you'll grasp it, you'll glory in it. And if you glory in it, you'll give it away. It'll spill out of your life. I'm going to ask Brother Wes and our instrumentalists to come, our musicians to come. And as they come, we're going to sing a song together, a song of of dedication, a song of decision. Today, perhaps you are longing for that love. Maybe you have felt isolated and alone and lonely. And you recognize that God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you say, I need some of that. I need someone that would care about me in spite of the things that are not likable about me. Maybe your life is in a low pit. He'll dig you out. He'll lift you up. Jesus reached the depths of humanity so that he could raise us up to heaven. Today, if you need to talk to somebody, we have prayer partners that would love to just share with you. They meet right over here. You can come down the aisle and I'll introduce you to one of them or you can go directly to them. They simply want to pray with you and take God's word and show you how he wants to meet the needs of your life. Maybe the need of your life today is to unite with this church. You want to join as a member of our family. We would love for that to happen, and you can do that today by that same process. Simply step out while we're singing and come to the front, and our encouragers will walk you through that process. Either way, let God have his way this morning in your heart. Let's stand together.